Hello, and thank you for joining us. I am your host, soulful business and leadership coach, Jeffrey Biesecker. This is episode 0052. We ask ourselves, how can we design the space to discover who we are and what brings us the greatest sense of meaningfulness? Viktor Frankl reminded us by saying, everything is practice. What is demanded of man is not, as some philosophers teach, to endure the meaningless of life, but rather to bear his incapacity to grasp its unconditional meaningfulness in rational terms. Joining us today is Dieter Randolph, author of the book, Meaning Fulfilled. Dieter is a third generation minister on a mission to transform the spiritual experience beyond the traditional church. Find out what happens when we venture way past okay in our search for meaning and purpose in life on this episode of The Light Inside. Do you struggle with maintaining your energy and mental focus throughout the day? I know I do. The folks at NeuroGum have always believed that the best version of ourselves starts with the mind. That's why they've dedicated the past five years to creating great tasting products that conveniently and effectively get us in the right state of mind at the right time. Four simple, healthy, and thoughtfully curated ingredients in endless lab testing Ensure you can reach the right state of mind safely and consistently. Every phase of their production is done intently to create the most effective product. NeuroGum products help shift your mindset with ease and flow. Their functional gum and mints are shortcuts to the ideal state of mind, delivering just the right amount of what you need to energize, calm, and focus your mind in the moment. So if you struggle to find the mental focus and energy throughout your day, Try NeuroGum and Mints by visiting GetNeuro.com today. That's G-E-T-N-E-U-R-O.com. Refresh your state of mind with Neuro. They get the mental game, helping you stay in the zone. through our conversations, we will impart some knowledge whilst learning ourselves how to progress even further. Here is your host. Hello, and thank you to our listeners for joining us. I am extremely excited for this conversation today. Our guest is Dieter Randolph, and he is here to help you find the life that you love. One that feeds you and makes you feel inspired. Dieter reminds us today that we are all in this thing we call life together. And that when you win, so does the world. Hello, Dieter. How are you today, my friend? Good, good. How you doing? Fantastic. Thanks for joining me today. 
Absolutely. Happy to be here. Yeah, I'm looking forward to this. That's right. Definitely. Uh Definitely. Well, I am excited to jump into this conversation with you today. I think that's one area in our lives that we all kind of look to fulfill and look to find what is our ultimate goal in finding our meaning and our purpose in living lives that are more meaningful. Yeah, absolutely. I'm really looking forward to doing that. Yeah. Absolutely. So I'm interested to get your Mm -hmm. insight on this today and also (laughs) share a little bit about your background in your book. So you are the author of the book, Meaning Fulfilled. You're a third generation minister on a mission to transform the spiritual experience beyond the traditional church. Share with us first a little bit of your background growing up in the church and becoming a minister, then We'll move in a little bit into your book. Sounds good. So basically, in some ways, it's not different than a lot of family businesses. Yes. I mean, if your parents are plumbers and your grandparents are plumbers, you're probably going to know your way around a monkey wrench. It's just, <laughs> it's one of those things. And there's really good things about it. I mean, I'm so grateful to be exposed to the idea that there's something bigger than you right from the get-go. That's a beautiful lesson. And I think that some people spend a long time chewing on that. Yes. So I'm really grateful for that. <laughs> there's also significant downside. That time period when you're a teenager and you're convinced that your parents are crazy, That's one thing. But when there are hundreds of people every Sunday that go, you know, your parents are the most wonderful people in the world. You go, no, come on. You have no idea. So there's definitely uh, uh, pros and cons. But at the end of the day, it was a wonderful thing to get to be exposed to that. And so I started seminary very early. I was a youth leader. They flew me all over the country to go speak to churches all over the place. And I love public speaking and I love that. So that really helped me figure that kind of thing out. I met my wife when we were both teenagers in the youth group. We just celebrated our 26th year of marriage. So we didn't mean lots of amazing good things. Yeah, thanks very much. But <laughs> lots of amazing good things about that. But what I came away with after a while, I was still a young man when this occurred to me, but I just thought I've got this this calling in my heart. I I know that I want to bring things like faith and hope and inspiration. The idea that there's something in you that's bigger than anything outside of you. Hmm. Those ideas, that's what I'm called to do. I know that. But what I also know is that the way that my parents and grandparents, the quote unquote traditional thing where church is an hour every week where it's a guy and it is almost always a white guy standing in front of a group of people and then everybody goes and has lunch. That's church. And it just that didn't feel like church to me. And so I didn't know how to locate the problem. You know what I mean? It's easy to go, well, it must be my thing. Everybody else is fine with this, that kind of a thing. And I I just knew it wouldn't work. And it sat with me for a long time, that conflict of, I feel really blessed and uplifted by this, but man, oh man, the execution's not there. It's not feeling right. So much so that I just decided, you know what? I'm out. And when I was a young man, I walked away from the whole thing. And I got a quote unquote regular job. In fact, quite a few regular jobs because I had my wife and we had a little baby at that time. And I did everything, man. I, I, uh, I sold used cars for a little bit. I swept floors. I worked at a record store. I ended up in computers and doing web stuff and whatever. And actually I became pretty successful. I ended up working for Google at one point. I did good. I made some money and all of that, but that wasn't it either. Hmm. Because in the first situation, I had a sense of calling and the execution wasn't there. In the second situation, I didn't have either one. I was just typing on the keyboard. You know, it just didn't really speak to me. But two things happened at the same time, pretty much. One of the things that happened was no matter what I was doing in the quote unquote day job, 
it ended up being a faith situation. I'll give you an example. I'd be like in a meeting and the meeting would end up status reports or whatever. And then somebody would say, Hey, can you hang out after the meeting? I want to talk to you about something. And I would think it would be about, well, we got to deal with this client or this thing or type this thing up or this isn't working right. And they would go after everybody else left the room, they would go, Hey, I'm getting a divorce. And I wondered, what do you think about this and that? And the other? <laughs> or I've got a racist uncle and I don't know how to deal with that. You know, these kinds of things would come up all the time. I couldn't get away from it. And it's not like I was telling people, people that I had a degree in theology instead of computer science, because that's not something HR wants people to know. Kind of a secret. You know, not that I was ashamed, but it just wasn't helpful in the situation. But wherever I went, people found me. I couldn't get away from it. So I was feeling that and it felt good. But the other thing that happened is my amazing wife, who's so much smarter than I am and has been my partner and everything. She said, you know, this stinks. We're making money and things are good in the outer, but I can see that you're not happy and I'm not happy because you're not happy and something's got to give here. And so I walked away from all of that. She and I said, you know, we want to go to church, but just not any church we've ever seen. It can't just be a Sunday morning thing. And I'm so sick of looking at churches that are just a walled community where they seem to just be dedicated to finding people who are other and outside and no good and sinners or whatever. And that doesn't feel right. You know, my spiritual heroes are inclusive, that they build bridges instead of walls. And so how does that look? So we started to build the church that we wanted to go to and start to write the books that speak to that. And I've been all over the country talking about these ideas and and that kind of a thing. And so this is the journey. And I'm so grateful for all the crazy twists and turns of it. And I can't wait to see what's coming. It's such an awesome, inspirational story. We all want to find that place in our lives where we feel uplifted, where we feel happy, where we feel full of joy and blessed. Yeah. That is to me just the ultimate in finding that purpose. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. Absolutely. And, and one of the things that, that I really want people to know, and I use this word meaning a lot because that's key for me. Yes. But I want people to understand that when I say <laughs> meaning, I don't mean uh, a synonym for something like a point or an aim. When you say, what's the meaning of life? You don't mean what's the point of life? Because when you think about it, a lot of the most important things like falling in love, falling in love is pointless. There's no point to love. Yes. You know what I mean? There's no point to inspiration. There's no point to your favorite song. I'm not saying what's the point of life. <laughs> and this is really, really important because when people say, oh, I get it. They mean, I get the point, but that word get, that's a possessive word. In other words, I own it intellectually, but man, oh man, the moments in your life where you felt in the zone, where you felt authentically you, where you felt like something was happening, you couldn't fit that between your ears. It's not something you can own. In fact, usually the meaningful moments are the ones where we are broken wide open. That's what we want. So I want people to understand, I'm not trying to say there's a point to this. You're not here to chase the point. This isn't about that. You're not called upon to make logic of your life. You're called upon to make sense of your life. And sense is a feeling. So the moments in your life that are meaningful are the moments where you feel grounded, connected to something, part of something bigger than yourself, really aware of of where you are in the universe. You know, those are the things when time and space just kind of become secondary at best. That's what meaning is. And so that's what I want people to look for Mm. as we do the world that we make together becomes so much healthier for everybody. The thing that got me going on this book was as a minister, I've been to a lot of funerals, as you might imagine. I've been to hundreds of them. And it's not like I enjoy that. It's not, nobody wants to go to a funeral. And yet 
it's an honor to get to be a part of that, to get to be a part of that rite of passage. And there's beauty and there's forgiveness and there's breakthroughs and there's amazing things about it. But it's not like I'm happy to do it. It's just one of those things. But anyway, over the hundreds of funerals I've been to and everybody at a funeral is a philosopher for the afternoon. You know, everybody's got theories and things that they want to talk about and think about and ask about. And it's pretty cool to get to be the minister in that situation, because if you're part of the family, you might not feel comfortable talking about certain things because we're supposed to be mourning and grieving. And if I've got questions or insights, I don't want to share them with everybody else because it doesn't feel right. But then there's this guy that I barely know standing in the front of the room. Maybe I can talk to him. And so I've heard a lot of amazing, interesting things, beautiful insights and stuff like that. But over the course of hundreds, hundreds of funerals that I've been to, I have never heard anybody say, hey, you know, that was a beautiful service and I love the sharing and we laughed and we cried and, and all that. But, you know, I would have liked to hear a little bit more about their credit score and their shoe size and how much money they made. <laughs> Nobody ever says that. You know what I mean? No one wants the data. It's, it's ridiculous, right? Nobody wants the data. And in fact, when you think about it, those things like your shoe size, like your zip code, they are the most insignificant parts of you. And when you really think about it, chasing those things makes you feel insignificant too. Hmm. But there's the problem because so many people spend so much time chasing the data. Man, oh man, if I could make a few more dollars, if I could just get the credit score up, if I could lose a few more pounds, if I could get a few more likes on my Instagram picture and my nachos or whatever, if I could just get that happening, then somehow I'd be happy. But happy doesn't live in the numbers. Yeah. Yeah. And so I wrote this book based on the idea that, you know what, we have got to start sharing and asking for and thinking about something that actually works instead of chasing the data all the time, because that's the problem. And so this is what the book is about, is figuring out what actually matters and using that experience to make a difference. It's such a path mm-hmm. of discovery and evolution. Yeah. It's about yeah. that journey. And that's the thing. I want people to understand that they're on a journey. And it's not even a journey to something, really. It's a, a never-ending road. Mm-hmm. And that's part of it. Chasing the data is also expressed in chasing some kind of a finish. Line. Yeah. We tell kids from the beginning, mm-hmm. oh, wait till you're in first grade. Wait till you graduate. Wait till you get a job. Wait till you meet somebody. Wait till you retire. Wait till you die. You know, I mean, it's just like a never-ending series of finish lines. And you know as well as I do that when you get to a horizon, what you see is another horizon. In the coaching work I do, in the counseling work that I do, a lot of what comes up for people is, you know what? I got my wish. You know, I met the person or I finally was able to retire or whatever. Now I don't know what to do with myself because I was so oriented to this finish line. And now I got there and I don't know who I am. You know, I've had people really grieve at being wealthy enough to be able to quit their jobs because their job gave them their identity. And if I don't know who I am, well, that's, that feels like existential death. And so there's this thing that happens. If you spend all your life chasing the finish line, you never figure out who you are along the way. And so being on a journey is such an important thing to know. It's like, look, the truth about you is you are always changing. I mean, the things on the inside, they don't change, but on the outside, the facts change all the time. (laughs) Experiences change all the time. Don't you want to be more like a little kid who is super comfortable with not having a comfort zone at all? They don't need anything to be familiar. For a kid, everything is brand new and everything is magic and everything is special. It's amazing how often in the wisdom literature of every spiritual tradition of humanity, there's some quote somewhere about be like a kid. And that's part of it. Be okay with the idea that, you know what, you don't have to be comfortable with this. 
You're supposed to have some growing pains. It's okay if it doesn't fit into the constraints of your ego. Little kids are like, wow, I'm bigger and there's amazing things and, and I'm taller now and it's okay that I have no idea what's going on. <laughs> we tell adults that they're supposed to have a five-year plan, but the truth is I don't want five years from now to be constrained by my limited vision of where I am. It seems like, speaking to that point, we get caught so much in that waiting game, waiting for happiness to yeah. arrive, or waiting to be in some destination, yeah. some purpose, some goal, yeah. rather than being happy and joyful in the moment. Yeah. And, and what I tell people all the time is everything is practice. This is really, really important. This is something that should be embroidered on something or tattooed on something or put on a post-it note. Everything is practice. <laughs> this is a big deal because everything is going to make you good at doing that thing. You know I mean, if you want to be a good mountain climber, you don't practice by putting on scuba tanks. You practice, you get to be a good mountain climber by climbing mountains. Everything is like that. And that's an important thing to know because there's a lot of people who think if I practice misery for long enough, I will get to happiness. <laughs> yeah. So think so about true. it. How many people so say, oh, pay your dues, pay your dues, do your thing. And yes, you do have to learn things. And yes, you do have to set your ego aside. And yes, sometimes you get to learn it the hard way, but that's not the same thing as saying, I want you to get really good at setting your dreams aside and taking your lumps. And someday you'll get to be happy. That never works. Everything is practice. And so if I could get everybody listening to this podcast right now to look at their life, take a little inventory and go, what is this making me good at? This conversation, this relationship, this job situation, if it's all practice, am I just getting really good at ulcers? You know, <laughs> am I getting really good at putting up with stuff? Because no one is ever going to go, okay, this was all a test. Now I'm going to be nice to you. That never happens. So what are you practicing by what you're allowing in your life? And if you start to go, you know what? I'm going to practice love and I'm going to practice letting myself be loved. You know, that can sound a little bit, you know, airy fairy, but that's a big deal, man. And if I can just start working on practicing, I don't know, integrity, inspiration, something like that, things begin to change. And that's key. So no more waiting. And like I said, think about the moments when you were really inspired. You weren't looking at your watch. In fact, time didn't matter. You know, the story of every hero is a story of somebody who I'm in the garage making the first computer or working on a work of art or writing this song and I forgot to eat dinner. <laughs> I'm so in love with that person that, that I just, I'll stand out in the rain. It's that moment, right? It's that thing that when the things that really matter have nothing to do with Maslow's hierarchy of needs or whatever, it doesn't matter. Let that be what defines you and you're going to become a much more interesting and happy person. You know, so often, speaking to that point, I feel we let those outside forces shape and negotiate where we go with that practice. Yeah. From your perspective, how do we move past those expectations and judgments from society, from the people around us to find our deepest sense of authenticity and meaning? Yeah, that's a great question. I think that it's it's not a big deal. <laughs> and I say that because when I say, I want you to experience meaning in your life, <laughs> a lot of people go, I don't know if I can do that. I'm not equipped for that. Because when you say meaning, I think of someone summoning Mount Everest or writing the great American novel or, or, you know, doing these giant things, you know, standing up at the steps of city hall and demanding justice. And those are wonderful things. And yeah, you should be doing your version of something like that in your life, but maybe not today. The thing is, when you think about meaning, a lot of times you're thinking about someone else's definition of meaning. It's not going to be meaningful to me to climb some mountain. 
I'd rather stay home. You know, it's comfortable here. It's not a thing for me. So you have to find what meaningful is for you. And you don't do that by jumping out for the big thing. You do that by getting good at the little things. This is like a muscle and it's okay if it's low weight and high reps. What I'm saying is there are things in your life right now that you do and it doesn't matter what anybody else thinks about it. You do them and it doesn't matter if you're going to get paid at the end of it. In fact, sometimes you have to pay to do it. There are things that you do and it doesn't have to be a big deal. It might be that when no one else is home, you put on earth, wind and fire and you dance and it's a secret. (laughs) It might be that you have perfected the chocolate chip cookie recipe and it's awesome. And you just, all you do is you make those things. It doesn't matter what it is. There's something that you do right now. And the trick is, do you lose track of time? You know, remember, we've already said that waiting is not the answer, right? So what's the opposite of that? What are the things that just bring you into the now moment? And like I said, it can be your favorite song. It can be a chocolate chip cookie. Be the kind of person who says, you know what? I'm going to go on a quest to find the best cup of coffee in this town. I'm sick of Starbucks. There's got to be some independent business somewhere that can make a latte that's going to blow my mind. You know, and there is, there's somebody in your town right now. (laughs) It's that it doesn't have to be a big deal. But when you give yourself to that, something amazing happens. What I say is it's a little bit like, this is going to sound funny, but it's a little bit like a phobia. Stick with me. (laughs) They say that if you have a phobia, like if you're afraid of heights, for example, any phobia you have, you are more likely to develop additional phobias. Very few people only have one. And I'm not, a, I'm not a, a psychiatrist, but the basic idea is if you have the wiring where you have gotten wired to where this brain develops phobias, you are going to develop more. of And so what a therapist or a psychiatrist or someone in that range of things will do is my job is to try to rewrite the operating system here so that you are not the kind of person who develops those. Let's do some reprogramming. You know, that's the basic idea. If you have a phobia, you're going to get more phobias until you change your wiring. Well, this is like that. If you are the kind of person who has wired yourself to experience meaning, you are going to experience more meaning. This goes back to the everything is practice idea. So find meaning in the little things. Take a minute so you're not playing Candy Crush on your phone. You're not medicating with chemicals or with drama, let's say right? Take a minute and find an authentic experience, whatever it is. It doesn't matter what it is. I I love going for a drive or I love walking on the beach or I love my favorite book. I've read it a thousand times. doesn't matter what it is. Take a minute and figure out, make your list of here are the things that I do and I don't care what anybody thinks and I don't care what time it is. And for most people, because we're not trained for this, for most people, it's a small list of uh, seemingly insignificant things, but those things will grow when you give yourself to them and you become a more interesting person. I mean, imagine yourself on a first date or something going, well, I do everything everyone else does. I'm super good at candy crush. I post on Facebook pictures of my nachos and that's me. Great. I'm going to swipe left on this. You know, it's, it's not the thing. So if you can say, you know what, I know it sounds crazy, but I'm super into show tunes and I know all the lyrics to Man of La Mancha or whatever, that, okay, that's a thing about you. Now you have a thing about you, even if it doesn't matter. It does matter because now you're the kind of person who has depth and that depth gets deeper as you explore it. I think speaking to that point, it's so important that we find gratitude, not just in the big things, not in the little things, yeah. but finding gratitude yeah. in everything. Simply saying, thank you for this experience. It's huge. It's huge. And in fact, 
I think that it's such a beautiful thing to get yourself. And I'm, I know I'm not the first person to say this, but to get yourself to the point where instead of saying, why me with your words or just with your general set of sensibilities, get to the place where you just say, thank you. Yes. And this thing happened. Thank you. And I mean, really think about all of the times in your life. And this is true of every single person, all of the times in your life, when you dodged a bullet, man, oh man, I got the flat tire and it kept me out of the three car pileup. You know, I, the alarm clock didn't go off and the thing happened. And you can decide in the moment that it's the worst thing that ever happened to you. But the truth is you are part of something bigger than yourself. And you're going to learn the easy way or the hard way. You tend to learn the easy way when you can say thank you. That's the trick to getting out of the school of hard knocks. If you can just be grateful for the things. <laughs> I think if you look back at every hero, you know, the inventors of amazing things. Like you think about like Steve Jobs and Steve Wozniak inventing the personal computer in a garage or, or some chef working in a food truck and then getting the big restaurant or something like that. When you look at their story, it seems inevitable that of course they would have, you know, uh, lost that job and it put them in a situation to invest in themselves. Of course that setback happened. And then that, that meant the thing, of course they got their heart broken, but it meant they got to meet the right person. It's so easy to say, of course that happened. But hindsight is hindsight. You know, you're looking back. The thing is, in that moment, that hero, whoever they were, thought that their world was ending. You can't connect the dots going forward. You can only do it looking back. And so the trick to being that hero is to decide, you know what? Just like it says in the Bible, what you meant for evil, God meant for good. In other words, it, it, it could be that other people have bad intentions. I can't fix that. I can only fix me. But what I can decide to do is, you know what? I'm part of something bigger than myself and I'm going to rise to the occasion. It, it is the case that I'm going to be the kind of person that's going to say thank you for a good parking space because that's going to set me up to say thank you for the winning lottery ticket or whatever else. So often we're bombarded with so much information and data. Uh -huh. It's hard to find headspace and heart space to simply explore who and what we are. Yeah. To truly listen to our inner voice and see what stirs our souls. Mm -hmm. How do you feel we can design the space for us to discover <laughs> who and what we are and what brings us our greatest sense of meaning? Well, part of it is what we already talked about, which is the, you know, find the, the cup of coffee, the chocolate chip cookie, the favorite song. Lean into that kind of stuff. But the other thing, and this is a big thing in the book too, is decide that you're going to tell your story. <laughs> and, and this is a big deal. It seems hokey or whatever, but remember, we've already said that data is not a good container for you. You're not a material being, right? I want you to think of yourself as a mythological being. And that means we got to get back into the vocabulary end of things. I want everybody to understand that myth does not mean a lie. You know, people say, oh, that's just a myth. That's not what the word means. Literally, the word myth means truer than true. A myth is something that has a deeper truth than the facts. You know, in, in America, we talk about George Washington as a kid chopping down the cherry tree and saying, I cannot tell a lie. We talk about him throwing a silver dollar across the Potomac River. The truth is, it doesn't matter if he actually did those things. Who cares? We tell the story because the truth of it is more than the facts. It's truer than true. We tell the story because we feel that it says something about George Washington's character and by extension, something of our character as Americans or something like that. Well, that's what it is. There are parts of you that are truer than true. And those things are contained not in the data, but in the story of you. Start to see yourself as the hero of your story, because if you're not, who is? 
you're the hero of your story. And you know what? Every hero you ever heard about starts out in pretty unfortunate circumstances as a baby in a manger or uh, under the stairs as an orphan Harry Potter or whatever else, Luke Skywalker alone on the farm. Every hero you ever heard about starts in, in, in humble beginnings. And in fact, every hero at the very beginning of their story starts in a place where they don't get what they want. Harry Potter would have liked to meet his parents. Luke Skywalker would have liked Obi-Wan to hang out a little longer. You know, you name it. Frodo did not want that ring. It's the thing. (laughs) They start in a situation where they don't get what they want. But you and I know now, if you look back at your life, that moment where you didn't get what you want is the thing that got you out of your comfort zone, out of your ego safe space. It broke you open into something really important and really big. And that's really important. That's the beginning of your story. So what I'm saying is invest in your story. This is part of who you are. I mean, you're going to talk your way out of a speeding ticket. You're not going to cite data. You're going to tell the story. Well, I was late because I was looking the other way and this and that and the other. If you're going to ask somebody to marry you, you're not going to bring out a chart of biological compatibility and shared interest. You're going to tell the story of your love. If you teach a little kid to tie their shoes, you're not going to talk about the tensile strength of shoelaces. You're going to say the bunny goes around the tree and back into its hole. It's a little story. It works because it's a story. Think about what your story might be. (laughs) And it's okay if it seems humble. Every hero story starts out humble. Start by telling your story. When you sit down with somebody else, instead of saying, you know, what meetings did you have today? Find a way to say, what's your story? And decide to care about that instead of what's your credit score? What's your story? What makes you tick? What's your thing? And as you become that kind of person who lives on a mythological basis, you start to unpack the potential for meaning in everything you do. It's just a shift in priorities, but what a change. Man, that's what it's a truer than true. I love that. This is my story. This is my truth. Yeah. That's planning that flag. That's belief. Yeah. Exactly so. Exactly so. And when you think about like when when a people is exiled, you know, when they lose their home, when they lose everything, you know, they can't be where they used to be. The thing that they get to keep is their story. The first thing that they create when they get to a new place is their story. The thing that they celebrate is their story. You are the hero of a story. Decide that, you know what, I'm going to share mine. It's amazing. And the thing is, (laughs) I didn't come up with this. It's written into the DNA of our spirits. We are story people. You know, we're uh, parable-centered people. So decide that that you're the hero of a story like that and amazing things will start to happen. For one thing, life starts to happen through you instead of life happening to you. And that's a big deal. It's that sense of being. That reminds me of that great Viktor Frankl quote. Exactly. What is demanded of man is not, as some philosophers teach, to endure the meaningfulness of life, but rather to bear his incapacity to grasp its unconditional and meaningfulness in rational terms. Okay. I like that a lot. In other words, meaning is already happening. Meaning is already happening. Yes. <laughs> I love that. It's, and that's really important because I think that, that we are so often taught that we're supposed to make something happen. If you see a title like meaning fulfilled or something, okay, well, how do I make meaning? And it feels like a self-help thing. I'm going to make meaning happen. Nothing important is something that you make. It already is. When you think about love, you don't create love. (laughs) You know, it's like, uh, 
It's like anything important. You don't create inspiration. Inspiration is, and you tune into it. Love already is, and you tune into it. You know, I'm a minister, so I think about church doesn't happen because there is drywall and two by fours and pews and a building. Church doesn't happen as a byproduct of the materials. Church happens to those materials. Love doesn't happen because there's, you know, uh, berry white and flowers. Love happens to those things. I mean, it helps. It's one of those things, right? So we need to get to the place where we realize that there's something already going on. And that is really important because one of the things that I have experienced a lot in the coaching work I do and counseling and all of that is a lot of people feel like I have to earn my right to be happy. People go, if, you know, I can't be happy unless I've I've got all the things off my to-do list. I get up extra early and I listen to all the self-help stuff in my car. I do all that. And they don't do it because it makes them happy. They do it because they're trying to fill a hole. That's an important distinction. You know, I ask people a lot, why do you do what you do? Do you do things because it makes you happy or do you do it because you're trying to not feel sad? And that might sound like the same thing, but it's not the same thing at all. I mean, uh, do you do what you do because it makes you feel smart or do you do what you do because you're just trying to protect yourself from feeling dumb? Do you do what you do because you want to live the dream or do you do what you do because you're just trying to make the nightmare end? Those are very different things, right? So people who feel like, you know what, I have to earn my right to be happy. Well, happy is intangible. It's not a finish line, is it? So you're never going to get there. If you're trying to fill this hole, you're going to learn that the hole is bottomless because you are boundless. It doesn't work that way. So what I really have to work on with people sometimes is the idea that, you know what? Happiness is unearned. Meaning is unearned. It just exists in the same way that gravity is unearned. You don't have to earn the right to not spin off into space or whatever. It just is. And your job is to feel happy or sad about it or use it and grow. Meaning already is. It doesn't matter if you get it or not. Do you feel it? And that's the big deal. So what I try to tell people is, you know what? You want this thing that you already have. Your job is to figure out how to see it. And that's a solvable problem. That makes me happy right there. (laughs) I had to let that one sink in a minute. I said, wow, man, I'm feeling it. That vibe is flowing through. I love looking at that angle. What is your intention with this? I love it. How do you choose to see? Yeah. Yeah, because, you know, there are people who hung out with Jesus or with Gandhi or the Buddha or Muhammad or Moses or you name it. There are people who hung out with those amazing heroes and didn't get it. So it's not just about proximity. A big hunk of this is about intention. Why are you here? Are you here because you're trying to, to get something over on somebody? Are you here because you're trying to not feel bad? And I understand that feeling. But that's not especially helpful. And, you know, part of this is evolutionary where another animal would evolve a solution to a problem. You know, they develop longer legs or bigger wings or they can breathe underwater or whatever. Us humans are reasonably unique because we don't evolve that. We invent something. We invent scuba gear. We build a shelter. We invent pants. We, you know, we do, we invent things to solve the problem. We adapt to the situation. And that's really interesting and really great. It's, it's a very special thing that we do. We're really good at it. We don't have a thick hide or, or spikes or horns or wings. We just have this ability to adapt. And that's great, but it also means if we're not careful, we can adapt to misery and think that it's okay. When you look at all of the things that us humans have invented, <laughs> amazing, beautiful things, the thing they all have in common is the motivation is almost always don't die. 
You know, yes. we invent scuba gear so we don't die underwater. We invent the shelter so we don't die from lion attacks. Don't die is great. It's, there's nothing wrong with don't die, but there's a big difference between don't die and really living. And the truth is, there's a lot of people in the world who've got real problems, who need shelter and food and all that. I'm not trying to say that we're done solving the problem, but by and large, you know, you and I are sitting here talking on computers over wireless internet across great distances. You know, we got roofs over our heads. I ate breakfast this morning and, you know, all that kind of stuff. The don't die problem is largely solved in our culture. Yes. And for the people who don't have that solution, we don't have to actually have to solve the problem. We just have to share the solution, right? We don't have to come up with something. The problem is solved. And so it's time for us as a people to evolve past basically the Bronze Age. You know, in a lot of ways, a lot of people are still thinking the same thoughts and solving the same problems that they were in the Bronze Age, the don't die problem. And it's time for us to grow up. Don't die is not the same as really living. We got to start asking the question instead of what's going to keep me safe because you're safe. We got to start asking the question, what's going to let me live? This is an evolutionary leap and it's about time. That aligns with that notion to me of perfect grace. I love that. There's this idea that, you know, my wife says all the time, she says, give people grace and space. And I love that. I love it. It rhymes. It's, it's, it's really good. But the basic idea is grace is the idea that there's something bigger than you that's going to fix it. Yes. You know, whether you believe that's God or thermodynamics, I'm, I can't believe, see, I believe in God, but I, I don't think God cares about brand recognition. <laughs> I don't think that matters, you know? And so whatever you call it, the I, grace is the idea that, you know what? The universe is really good at taking care of its own. If I just get myself out of the way, <laughs> that's grace. That there's beauty and truth in the universe all by itself. I don't have to force this. In fact, forcing it is a sure way to keep it from being experienced. If you just get out of the way of it, that's grace. So giving people grace and space is the key to a lot of things like forgiveness, for example, like healthy relationships. If I go, you know what? I got faith that you are in touch with something bigger. You don't need me to do this. I'm not your source. <laughs> and that's the grace part. And the space part is I'm going to let you work that out. And I'm going to love you, but I might need to love you from a distance because I'm not going to fix this for you. There's a book called Lessons in Truth, which has always been very, very important to me. And in the book, Lessons in Truth, the author says, no parent can grow for their child. Now you can't grow for somebody else, you know, and, and I got two grown kids and I still watch them. And I think, you know, there are times when you can see the train coming, you go, man, oh, I, I know what's going to happen here and you're going to fall on your butt. I know it because this and that and the other thing. <laughs> and you wish you could take that away from them. I wish I could just have this hurt for you, this heartache, this, that first true love that ain't so true, that thing, you know, you wish you could hurt for them, but you can't. All I can do is give you grace and space and I'm here for you. I'll love you forever, but you're going to have to do this. And having faith that, that you don't have to be somebody else's source is a great way to get your ego out of the picture. When you love somebody, it should be a heart matter, not an ego matter. And that's a really big deal. So once again, if you want to get good at relationships, get good at grace and space. Speaking to that, one of the greatest ways we can show grace is by creating that space and being of service to others. 
Yeah, I love that. And, and it's it's such an amazing thing to really show somebody that you believe in them. And some of the time what you're doing is just backing off. Space can come before grace sometimes, you know, where you're just like, you got this. I'm not saying a prayer. I'm not giving a big declaration or a speech or anything. I'm just going to step away. You know, in, in 12-step groups, that's the beginning of what they call tough love, for example. It's that kind of thing going, you know what? It's all you. And I believe in you to do that. And one of the things about our church that we're very proud of is that we consider ourselves to be missional rather than attractional. And what that means is an attractional church is the one that's like, we got to get everybody to come in and it's our stuff. And you got to come in these doors. A missional church is one that tries to go out into the world. And there are good and bad things about that. There's arguments for both styles, but we like missional. And one of the things that missional means is like, we'll never start our own soup kitchen, but we go serve in somebody else's soup kitchen every month. We're never going to start our own food pantry, but we'll serve in somebody else's. We're never going to start our own Habitat for Humanity because we're already working at Habitat for Humanity, building houses for other people. We really try to go out into the world. And when we go out into the world, we wear our church t-shirts or whatever. But beyond that, nobody's got to agree with us in order to get our love because I just can't care about that. doesn't matter. You know, the idea is being the kind of person that goes, look here, here's my whole heart. And that scares some people because some people go, well, I don't want to give my whole heart. I might get my heart broken. I might be disappointed. But you know what? You have to give yourself a little bit of grace and space too, because the truth is that there is a part of you that cannot be broken. There's a part of you that is beyond all of that stuff. And when you think back at your life and connect those dots in reverse, you'll see that it's been with you all along. I deal with people who have identified with their job or with a possession or with a relationship. And that amazing thing happens when it all gets taken away through a promotion or through catastrophe. There's that thing that happens when, oh my gosh, it's gone. It's gone. The car that I thought made me cool is gone. The job that I thought made me important is gone. The relationship that defined me, I thought they were what love was and they left with the pool boy or whatever. It's gone. And that can be incredibly heartbreaking. It can be a feeling of existential death, like we talked about. But everybody comes around to this place where they go, wait a minute, it's gone and I'm still here. So I guess that wasn't me after all. That whatever it was, the possession, the relationship, the situation, it couldn't contain or define me after all, even though I thought it did. It's gone and I'm here. And when you think about your life, there is a series of moments in your past where the thing is gone and you're still here. You have grown. The facts of your life have changed. You're not two feet tall anymore. You probably don't live in your childhood home anymore. Things change. You're probably not so into the masters of the universe and He-Man anymore. Things change. I mean, I still would play with those action figures if I had any. But the thing is, things change. It's not the defining characteristic of you anymore. You get to look back at your life and go, wait a minute, there is a part of me that never has changed, that never has gone away, that can't be hurt. And in fact, those moments when I experience hurt, it's just my ego getting bruised and that's okay. It's okay to grieve and it's okay to be hurt. But at the end of the day, what you learn is, you know what? The universe just needed a purer, more honest version of me. And now I got no choice. I have to give it now because I don't have that shield up anymore. But again, every hero's story starts with them taking the armor off. You know, think of David facing Goliath. You know, there's this moment where the real hero is the one who goes, you know what? I'm not doing this. I got my guard down. Here we go. Yes. And that, that vulnerability is strength. It's not a lesson we learn a lot in this culture, but it's a very important one nonetheless. It's in that space that so often we smother that spark of brilliance in others. Yeah. Which that you should do, you're doing this wrong. You should become this. 
that's uh-huh. that space where so many generational traumas are born that limit that spark of brilliance in others that limit us from becoming yeah. our best. Yeah, exactly. So, cause and then it comes, it usually, and maybe not always, but it usually comes from a very sweet place. It's like, this worked for me. I want you to do it. I'm happy as doctor, lawyer, plumber, painter, whatever. I want you to follow in my footsteps because it seems, you know, I got this, I got this all figured out. But, you know, once again, this is me as the product of a family business. I can tell you for sure that my way of doing it is a million miles away from what my parents did. And that's no disrespect for them, but I got to go my own way. And they know that. And, you know, we went through different things about that. But in general, we're good because of that. I learned a really interesting lesson. My, My wife and I said to our kids, as soon as they were old enough to comprehend it, So as soon as we could figure out that they could figure it out, we said, look, here's the deal. We don't ever want you to worry about getting good grades. We don't ever want you to worry about economic viability or employability. We don't ever want you to worry about what other people think about it. None of that matters to us. You know, it's going to matter a lot to a lot of people and we're going to have to help you figure out how to deal with that. But to the people who are here for you and we got your back for the rest of your life, that's your parents' job. For us, it doesn't matter what grades you get. doesn't matter how much money you make. And in fact, I will pay your bills for the rest of your life. But here's your end of the bargain. You've got to figure out what's in your heart to do. And you got to do the best you can at it. You can't let up on that. You got to really follow your bliss, as Joseph Campbell would say. That's the bargain. I'll pick up the tab as long as you are following your heart. And as a result, both of our kids have gotten incredible grades throughout their lives. My daughter started college at 13. My son started at 15. They are incredibly gifted uh, artists and musicians, and they're supporting themselves, and they're doing all of that kind of stuff. And more importantly than that, they're happy. Because they were released from some of those constraints, they found that they met the constraints. By any estimation, they got good jobs and good money and good whatever it is, but it's because it never mattered. (laughs) You know, there's that Bible story where, you know, to oversimplify it a little bit, God appears to King Solomon and it's a little bit like rubbing the genie's lamp. God basically says, what do you want? And Solomon could have said, you know what, I want what's behind door number three and I want the money and I want a car and I want big hair and I want, you know, the, the things, right? I want the things. But he, all he said is, I want an understanding heart. And because he had an understanding heart, in other words, I want to know this thing that's bigger than me. I want to feel it. He didn't ask for an understanding intellect. He didn't ask for a gratified ego. He said, I want to feel this. This is a hard thing. But because he did, Solomon, I don't know how much people know about the Bible, but he's the richest guy in the Bible. Even today, even non-Bible people think of that. Well, that was a very King Solomon-like decision you made there. Yeah, he's a smart guy. Universally, a uh, 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 felt as the smart guy in the Bible, the rich guy in the Bible. And he's smart and he's rich. Smart guy knows when to get out. Yeah, that's it. That's what it is. An understanding heart is him. Exactly, man. Exactly. The understanding heart is him going, God, I want to get out of the way. Because here's the thing. Like we said before, the universe is really good at taking care of its own. If there is friction in your life, it is not caused by the thing that seamlessly moves the planets around and expands the universe and is in charge of your nervous system. If there is friction in my life, it's because I'm dragging my feet. That's the deal. And so when you're experiencing friction, part of your job is to go, okay, wait a minute, where am I dragging my feet? What am I hanging on to? (laughs) You know, I think that, that life should be a little less like paddling and a little more like surfing. You know, how can I let go of this? Because the tide will take you home. If you get out of the way of it, greatest way we could show that grace to others is simply getting out of the way and allowing them the space to ask. Yeah. 
They'll yeah, ask what they huge. need. Because they know better than you. That shows faith and trust. Yeah, exactly. Faith and trust builds those bridges. Yeah. And finding a way to be able to say to people, I am 100% here for you, yes. but I can't grow for you. Yes. And that takes you out of the codependency and dysfunction departments. If you can just go look, I'm down for this. I am <laughs> in the front row of your life and I am applauding before you even hit the stage, but I can't do this for you. I'm here to cheer you on. I'm here to, to support you in whatever way. I'll pick up the tab if that's mine to do, whatever it is, but I can't do it for you. But I can't wait to see what you do. And genuinely be interested in how they're going to solve the problem, do the thing. It's an amazing thing to be okay with that growth journey. But I mean, again, just like you're going to see yourself as a hero of a story, they get to be the hero of their story. And think about every movie you ever loved. I mean, it's not much of a movie if everybody just sits the ground agreeing with each other and everything's fine and nobody learns anything and nobody grows and they just sit in the living room. That's not a movie. And so the movie is there's struggles and there's tribulations and there's a character arc where they grow through something and they solve problems. And there's that Joseph Campbell hero's journey where they do all the things. That's a story. And it needs to be okay with you that that other person's life, that your life too, has that same arc to it. It needs to be okay with you that, you know what? <laughs> Happiness does not exist inside my comfort zone. Growth does not exist inside my comfort zone. True love sure as heck doesn't exist inside your comfort zone. It challenges. Inspiration demands. Your favorite song demands you get off your butt and dance. Everything demands you to, seriously, everything that, that matters, meaning, <laughs> makes you get out of your comfort zone, out of your ego expectations and into a place of open-hearted, broken openness where that's okay with you. Because you know what? I am broken open. I am vulnerable, but I'm vulnerable because I have faith that this thing in me is unbreakable. There's that dynamic and there's that balance. But when you can live from that unbreakable and yet broken open place, you invite growth and real happiness and real fulfillment. And the world that you make along with other people like that mm. is pretty darn beautiful. You have that great series called Ask Dieter, where you bring some of those stories of others into play. <laughs> what can you tell us about the series and what is your vision and yeah. for that series? Well, that started, I've actually been doing that for years yes. and years and I got real busy and doing other things. And so I, I kind of hung it up for a while, but after the quarantine, I decided to pick it up again. Basically what happened was at our church, we do a thing where during the lesson, so there'll be a number up on the screen, you know, back when we could actually have people in the room and people could text their questions. <laughs> and that was always a huge thing to me. I love not knowing what people are going to ask and all of that kind of thing, but there were always more questions than there was time to answer the questions. But also sometimes people had questions that just didn't feel right for church. You know, maybe they'd be too broad or too specific to a cultural thing, or, you know, sometimes it just didn't went right for the format. Not that they were bad or forbidden, but just didn't fit. And so I started this channel where anybody can send in a question and they're allowed to be anonymous and all that. And they, there's questions about you name it. And I do about five minutes, six minutes, sometimes just answering whatever their question is. And I put out a new video usually every Friday and it's just, you go to askdeeter.com. There's my face answering a question over time. I don't know if you remember the old uh, Christopher Reeve Superman movie. I'm dating myself, I know. But um, he's got this fortress of solitude. He's got this place that he can go. Because remember, if you know the Superman story, yes. he's an orphan, all of that. But he's got this place <laughs> he can go where there's like all the knowledge. His parents had put all the knowledge that they thought he might need. And he can just pop basically a memory card into a thing and play a little movie. And it's his mom or dad talking about science and talking about physics, but also talking about love and talking about you name it. 
I don't claim to be all knowing, my goodness, no, but it's my little attempt to go, you know what, whatever question comes up, maybe there's a video for it. Something that might get you going on, not my answer, but your answer. And it's so much fun to, to get that there's amazing questions that come up. And I get people asking me questions from all over the world now, just about you name it. People want to know about gun control or is it okay to take LSD or people want to know how I feel about same-sex marriage. And people also want to know about things like prayer and faith and it's just everything. And it's really cool to get to be a part of that journey with people. I love, love doing it. I love looking at that idea of the fortress of solitude. (laughs) We all need that space where we can go and discover who and what we are. Right. Right. And, you know, there's there's a lot of really uh, challenging, let's say, things about the way that technology can isolate. It's an amazing thing that if you were to summon up Leonardo da Vinci or Ben Franklin or Tesla or somebody like that and go, we've got this thing. I've got this thing in my pocket and I can summon up all world knowledge and I can tell you the temperature on the other side of the planet and, and I can find anything. But mostly I take pictures of my dinner. You know, it's, it's an amazing <laughs> missed opportunity when we're so isolated and we spend all of our time playing Candy Crush or everything is a personalized news feed. The truth is that us human beings are very tribal. And so we need to find ways to use technology to come together. But if you're alone in this little fortress of solitude with a screen and a keyboard, at least I can connect with you a little bit. At least you can start to think about something more important than lining up fruit of the same color in a row or whatever and start to connect. And I got to say, that's one of the things about the whole quarantine that I'm, you know, obviously I'm not a fan, (laughs) but um, it is an amazing thing that one of the things that we have learned out of this is that we really need each other. (laughs) I think that we've been sold this idea of the quote unquote rugged individual and all of that. And you know what? There's something to be said for finding your own inner strength and all that. But the truth is nobody ever does anything alone. That's like adulthood 101. You want to be a grown up. Understand that nobody does anything alone. You know, when my kids were little, like two, terrible two situation, they'd go, me do it, where they had to be the one to open the door and they had to be the one to tie their shoes and they would never do it right because they were little and their hands didn't work right and all that. And then they'd be a big old fit. Terrible twos is a time for me do it. But an adult <laughs> is someone who says, you know what? I'm teachable. I need some help here. Can you hold this idea with me? Can you give me a hand? I don't know about this, but you know about this because my ego isn't wrapped up in not knowing. My identity comes from a place that is expanding. And so in the same way, when we start to realize that, you know what, the virus thing and the quarantine thing is reminding all of us that, you know what, we really need other people. It's the reason why I think people will always want to go to church, even though church will change. It's the reason why maybe you've got a great home theater, but man, oh man, when the next Star Wars movie comes out, I'm there. Even though popcorn costs a million dollars and there's somebody on a cell phone, three rows in front of me, I don't care. I want to go there. You've got a great sound system in your car, man, but going to live music is pretty great. We need other people. And we're going to get to the place where we actually see that as a value instead of deciding that, well, I'm an individual and I'm the cowboy alone on the range or whatever. That's great in the movies, but in real life, you need your tribe. You know, there's such beauty in that connection, in that meaning. (laughs) (laughs) You know, we interact in spirit and energy together. It's time to lean into that. Yeah. It's where do we become one? Yeah. Well, that's the thing. I mean, the funny thing is that it's not hard to find those moments, you know, go to a coffee shop, (laughs) do a thing, go out to a concert or to a movie when it's safe to do so. Of course, you know, there's a disclaimer, but you know what I mean? And the thing is the important thing about the technology that we have is like, once again, you and I are talking across great distances. There are ways to reach out to people and yeah, you know what? We're going to have to be a little bit creative. 
but we can do that. That's the thing humans are good at, right? We adapt and we invent. It's, <laughs> we're good at it. So it's time to get good at connecting instead of finding fault. It's time to build some bridges. And we have the tools with which to do it. So that's pretty cool. That's just fabulous. <laughs> I don't know what more to add to that today. <laughs> I'm going to be honest. I don't know what more to add to that today. I love it. So love eloquently it. put. Thank you so much. I am just so gracious and grateful for all of that wonderful insight and taking me in a new direction. Dude. Yeah, man. It's a lot of fun talking to you. I, re I really love talking about this stuff. And this is such a great, uh, great opportunity. I love what you're doing, trying to open this up and communicate this with people. I, I think that this is huge. Thank so you. thank you so much. Thanks for this talk. Even if nobody else was listening, I'd be grateful for this talk. But thank you. Yeah. Yes. I'm so grateful for this time with you today to connect and build those bridges. Yeah. So we've got one burning question Absolutely. in our mind Absolutely. Today. Okay. <laughs> what is the one thing that brings you the most meaning and what legacy do you hope to leave? And that's two questions. Yeah. Yeah. Well, <laughs> um, the one thing that, that brings me meaning is what we're doing right now. I love talking about this stuff and thinking about this stuff and sharing this. And what I found once again, even when I was working a secular job, I couldn't quit doing it, you know? So this is everything to me. And as far as a legacy, I really hope that when people think and talk about me, if they do at all, I hope they go, you know what? We need to talk and think about important things too. Let's take a minute and decide that our lives, our time, our love is more valuable than how much money it can generate. You know, nothing wrong with money, but man, oh man, there's a lot of better things. So I hope that, that the legacy I leave is people asking questions and demanding answers that speak to their heart. Don't find the only thing. Find the everything. <laughs> well, this conversation has been everything That's to nice. me today. Like Thank you so much for sharing this with us. And it has yes. been such a blessing to share this time with you today. Same here. Thank you so much. Where can our listeners go out and find you to connect further with you? Well, thanks for asking. The The best place to go is my website, and that's waypastok.com. W-A-Y-P-A-S-T-O-K-A-Y. Waypastok.com. And there are links to, to my new book, Meaning Fulfilled. You can also find that on Amazon and all that good stuff just by searching for my name or searching for Meaning Fulfilled. But if you go to waypastok.com, there's links to that. There's links to the Ask Dieter videos that we talked about. I write a new blog post every week, all of that kind of stuff. I'm also at way past okay on uh, Instagram and Twitter and all that. So I'm pretty easy to get a hold of. And I hope that everybody listening will get a hold of me because I love the dialogue. Like I said, I love answering the questions, but I got to say right now, pick up a copy of the book. I promise it's going to change things. Dieter, you're such a fun, great guy to talk to. I ask my listeners, go out and connect with Dieter, share a conversation with him. Awesome. Thank you again, my friend, so much for sharing this with us today. Let's do it again. Absolutely. Anytime, man. Anytime. Thank you. Just like Solomon, awareness and what we value is the key to an understanding heart. And an understanding heart leads us to discover meaningful intention and happiness. So often, when we look to discover meaningful purpose in the data and validation of others, in our race to a mythological finish line, we form and mold our identities to become what others believe to be our truest self. As a result, we feel like we are experiencing an existential death. We deny our own sense of being. Author Theodore Seuss Geisel once said, Sometimes you will never know the value of something until it becomes a memory. We often live as ghosts, 
in our own skin. Now, Dina and I have talked about a lot today, but we want to hear from you. What did you personally find meaningful in today's episode? Drop us a note, tag a friend on social media at The Light Inside Podcast, or share this episode with a friend who you feel might benefit from hearing this conversation. As always, we are grateful for you, our valued listening community. Tune in next week to join us for a conversation with author Larry Indiviglia as we discuss unconditional love on the next episode of The Light Inside.